Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. Well, good morning, y'all. Made it out on this frosty morning. I guess Thanksgiving has come and gone and winter is here, full on. Usually it starts off with a little skiff of snow, you know, frost on the lawn. Not this year. Woohoo! Glad to see you all out. We did put a note in the bulletin. It went out on Facebook. Um, just in general so that you know, our policy here at the Springs is that we will keep the doors open. We will have services here. We've got people that live within blocks of the church who can walk through a blizzard and get here. But for others, and I recognize it can be really difficult getting out in this weather. Some of you don't have vehicles that can even make it through the streets on some of the days that we had this last couple of days. And so I don't want you to feel that you have to get to church. Somehow God's going to be mad at you if you don't make it. If it's not safe and you're not comfortable traveling, it's fine to stay home. We're still available on 105.3 Glory Radio if you live within a couple blocks of here. We've got the podcast, we've got YouTube, and so you can catch up with the message if you missed it. But most of all, we want to just make sure that you have an opportunity just to really enter into God's presence. And sometimes white-knuckling, I guess that's a good way to pray, right, if you're white-knuckling down the roads. But we just want to make sure everybody's safe. And, and, but also let you know, because it's going to happen. Somewhere over this winter, somebody's going to go, is there going to be church today? What's the answer? Yeah, yeah church every day, right? And uh, that's just how we roll. So with all that, kind of excited to jump into the message we have this morning. It's in the book of Acts in chapter 6. You can turn your Bibles there. If you recall in the book of Acts, uh, the apostles, all of them had gotten rounded up a second time now and come before the Sanhedrin. This is like a combination, joint session of Congress with the Supreme Court and the president all there, right? And they get called before them for speaking and healing and teaching in the name of Jesus. And they, 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 they purpose to kill them. And then one of their leaders, one of their elders, highly respected Gamaliel, stood up and said, listen, if this is uh, just a work of man like these other guys that have risen up, it'll just go away and disappear. But if it's of God, there's nothing we can do to stop it. And so he kind of calmed them down. They didn't kill them on the spot, but they severely beat them, flogged them, thrashed them, flayed them. I mean, drew blood, stripes. And, and, and then I, I like where we pick up here at, at the end of this, uh, verse 40, and they agreed with him. They agreed with Gamaliel, let's not kill him. They agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Hallelujah. And so we see here, as the church is birthed and the Holy Spirit falls upon them, that they would be witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. They go out in the power of the Holy Ghost. They're preaching, and thousands and thousands of people are coming to the Lord. And, and the religious leaders, the, the politicians of that day, they're kind of 
jealous of this grassroots movement. They're trying to quash it, but nothing they can do. It's like the harder they press, the bigger that the church continues to grow. And this is just kind of a, a something that's going on, a progress report. And I just love this. After being beaten, literally, the skin tore off of your back in a beating. What do they do? They rejoice. They rejoice that they're counted worthy, right? And I think of the church today. I think of the church in America. Uh, are, are we that kind of church? I remember after the service last week, several of you came up and said, man, I don't know if I would have what it would take to do that under those circumstances. And, and the truth is we don't know. Uh, until that time comes. But I can tell you this, if you stand for Jesus now, and if you stand for Jesus Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, when Friday comes, you'll be standing, right? And this is how we do it. It's a dress rehearsal. Every day is a dress rehearsal that we could give that testimony and rejoice that we've been counted worthy to be singled out, to be made an example that the whole world could see. That's a Christian. And, and amen, right? And they could see how this works. So we're watching all of this. Acts chapter 5, though, Satan doesn't like it, and he decides to join the church. And, and he comes in uh, moving on Ananias and Sapphira to lie about their giving and their donations, trying to be uh, something that they're not, trying to be puffed up, and, and, and they fall into the sin of hypocrisy, and, and God judges that really severely. As the church is growing, it doesn't hurt to be a Christian who's being whipped and flogged for the name of Christ. That doesn't, that doesn't stop the gospel from going forward. But what does? Hypocrisy, duplicity, lying, pretending, being a player, acting like you're some kind of a Christian. That's where, and kids are great at this, they'll sniff it out right off the bat. They know if you're a real Christian or not. You know, if we really wanted to go through everybody in the church, right, and find out which one of you guys are real Christians, we'd ask your children. In fact, that's probably what they're doing in Sunday school right now. <laughs> no, trust me, they don't have to ask. The kids just tell us. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's so important. And so that's Acts chapter 5, Satan moves into the church. And here in chapter 6, we're going to see complaining in the church, division in the church, and yes, racism in the church. You could say the honeymoon is over. Look how we open up in chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in those days, what days are those? This is the birth of the church, the early days of the church, the honeymoon of the church. But in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, that's good, right? Everybody say amen. Multiplying. Church is growing. People are coming to the Lord, discipling and growing in the Lord. The, the disciples were multiplying. There arose a complaint. Complaining. Uh, one, of the, one of the chief sins that God really gets upset with. It, we saw that with the children of Israel as they were set free from bondage in Egypt and, and traveling on, and they started murmuring and complaining. And, and God says, because of this, you're not going to enter into my rest. And they just, they did circles in the desert for 40 years till they died. Why? Murmuring, complaining, unbelief, discord, 
lack of unity and, and, and all of these things. The, the testimony they were supposed to be in the world was being tarnished, if not just completely destroyed by their behaviors. But here we are now, book of Acts. Church is just weeks old. It's, it's, it's still a baby church. In those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the distribution, okay? Remember, rewind back to chapter 5, the end of chapter 4, Barnabas, he's selling everything. The people are selling all that they have and making sure that the needs are being met. And there were certain people within the church body, this brand new church that had needs. Widows here are, are singled out. Ladies that don't have any uh, husband to take care of them or provide for them, uh, they're beholden to somebody to help step up. And uh, there's this distribution, the daily bread that everybody would be able to receive because of the generosity of the church. But in the midst of all this generosity, Satan will sow a seed of discord. Um, it's kind of interesting. Everything's multiplying. Everything's growing. Everything's doing great, right? I love what we read in Proverbs chapter 4, and the reason I love it is because I live it. Dallas is always quoting it to me just to remind me in case I forget. Verse 4 of Proverbs 14, where the, no oxen are, where there aren't any oxen, where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. In fact, so what we got here is a, a messy manger, a dirty stall, right? If you're going to be doing ministry, the church is doing ministry, the church is multiplying, the church is discipling, things are going great, it's a hot mess. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And this is one of the things that I find difficult for a lot of Christians, especially some who have been raised in the church their whole life. You can come to churches that are just fine-tuned, they just run, they hum right along, everything's perfect, decent, and in order, and, and all the same people that have been going there generation after generation are there, and they all know when to stand up, sit down, rah, 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 everything goes just according to clockwork. But you look and you go, how many baptisms have you had? Man, we just had eight last week out at the ranch, you know, and I say, we, we're part of that. You guys get credit for some of that. Of course, there's people who are going out there and, and leading worship and teaching and all, but it's all part of the outreach of this church, what's going on out there. And, and you can look at churches and there's nothing going on. The stall is clean, right? Spick and span, you could eat in that manger. Well, you should be able to eat in a manger, right? But here we've got this mess going on. Also, in Proverbs chapter 6, since I'm over at Proverbs, another passage that comes to mind in the middle of all of this, God speaking says, six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to Him. And we're going to look for these things as we go through the book of Acts. We look at the early church, we look at the believers, and we look at some of the places they fall short. Sometimes looking into that mirror can help us recognize where we need to do a little tune-up. Six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to Him, a proud look, a lying tongue, we've already seen these things in Acts, hands that shed innocent blood, this is what the Sanhedrin wants to do, they want to kill Him, a heart that devises wicked plans, well, let's just beat Him and tell Him not to speak in the name of Jesus, feet that are swift in running to evil, 
a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord amongst the brethren. God hates one who sows discord amongst the brethren. Just know this, if you're gossiping, if you're passing on lies, if you're saying negative derogatory things about one another, you're not on God's happy side. It says God actually hates that, okay? We should be very, very careful about those kinds of things. It's kind of interesting, we live in a generation where the church, it seems like the numbers are decreasing and, and the, the, the faithful witness in America seems, the light seems to be growing dimmer. And you wonder, why is it that the next generation isn't picking up the church? Why don't we see all these next generation people come to the church? And I can tell you one of the reasons why is because of not what happens at church, but what happens at home. What happens around the dinner table? What happens at the restaurant after the church service? Guarantee, if you do not want your children and your grandchildren to follow Jesus, just go out to lunch after church every Sunday and just serve up roast pastor, roast worship leader, roast sound person, roast parking lot attendant, and just talk down about everybody else. And you'll look at your kids and they're like, why would I want to have anything to do with that? complaining, murmuring, some of these things that are, are going on. So, here's the issue. There's a complaint against, against the Hebrews. So, who's doing the complaining? The others. By the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Now, just to kind of break this down, in the early church, right, it's brand new. Everybody fundamentally is a Jew, okay? That's just the population of Israel, of Judaism. They're all coming to faith in their Messiah, in Jesus Christ. They would be known as Messianic Jews, okay? Jews who have received Jesus as their Messiah, their Christ. But there's different flavors, if you would, within the church. Those who were raised Hebrew, okay? They kept to the Hebrew uh, Scriptures. They have the Torah, they've got Moses, they've got their traditions, they've got all the holidays, they've got all these things that they're celebrating. Very, very traditional. Then you have the Hellenists or the Grecians. They came from a more uh, multicultural background. The Greek uh, culture held sway in the world in those days, theater and arts and science. And, and even in those days, the, the Scriptures were in Greek language, in, in Grecian Greek. And so, there was this Greek component, a little bit more uh, of the world, this Hellenistic, or this, and this Hebrew component, a little bit more traditional, and there was a little bit of a clash here. It says the, the Hellenists were getting left out of the distribution. Now, I'm sure if we were to look at this, I don't think they're any different than any other church or any other group of, of followers. A lot of this is just misunderstanding, miscommunication, uh, just ignorance, not knowing what the other one is doing. Ignorance leads to suspicion. Well, if I don't know what they're doing, I wonder if they're doing this. Who is this? This is the devil just stirring up stuff after suspicion, wrong expectations. Well, I believe they're doing this and they're not doing that. And pretty soon you've got a bad heart, right? 
And, and no doubt, in all of this, there was a distribution. People were contributing. You could say they had right hearts, okay? And you could even say that they have the right facts. Right heart, right facts. You could say they were right. You could say they were dead right because they didn't have the Holy Ghost. They didn't have the love of God. They didn't have the unity of the Spirit. They weren't concerned to dig in and find out what's the solution, what's the situation, how are we going to go about fixing this? And this, they needed to get the whole story, right? The, the Hebrews, they tended to be more traditional, probably more like somebody raised in the church. If you're raised in the church, you understand what's going on here. And then the, the Hellenists, they probably leaned a little bit more less traditional. You could even, and they, the Hebrews, the traditionals would call them sacrilegious. Don't they know that's not how you dress when you come to church? Don't they know that you're supposed to stand up at this part or sit down at that part or raise your hand or be, don't they know that? No, they don't. <laughs> okay. One of the things, if you come to the Springs Calvary Chapel very long, it's been our purpose from day one, ground zero, coming into Minicasha, coming into Southern Idaho, looking at 55 churches on the books as Cheryl and I moved here in 2012, started the church. Out of the 55, we decided not to be like one of those. They've already got one of those. We set out to be a church for the unchurched, the ones who weren't welcome at church, the ones who wouldn't go to church because if they did, the roof would come in on their head, right? And they didn't know what this church stuff was all about. And it was our goal to introduce them to the Jesus who loved them and died for them and gave of Himself for them that they could live a, a pure, hopeful, happy life. We wanted to make sure that message got out. And so, guess what? It started working. And these people that were of the world, right, all of a sudden they got born again. And as they got born again, we started discipling. As they started discipling, they started growing. They started reproducing. They started witnessing. And next thing you know, the cycle repeats and a new batch comes in. As the people have been in church for any length of time, you know, a year or two, a lot of the stuff starts cleaning up a little bit, right? Some of the language, some of the mannerisms, some of the behavior. All of a sudden, they're starting to hear what the Scripture says. Their life is, is coming together. And all of a sudden, they're, they're, a little, they're, they're more oh, socially appropriate or whatever. But their friends who they bring to church, they're not. And one of the things about a situation that we've got going here where we invite the unchurched is there's always, listen, make sure you catch this, there's always going to be people here that just don't know what you know. They, they, they don't, they, they, this church thing is new to them. They don't know how to behave, right? And, uh, you know, if they come in and drink 10 cups of coffee, then they got to get up and go to the bathroom 10 times in the service. It's like, back off on the coffee, wait till afterwards, we got cookies to go with it. You don't have to get up in the middle of the service. If you do, you'll be kind of be discreet. Little things like this, right? And that's not to pick on anybody. You got to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom. But you're here to worship God, to hear the Word of God, to praise God, to pray to God, to be with God's people. That's what we're here to do. We don't want to become a distraction to others who are here to do that same thing. We certainly didn't come here to draw attention to ourselves. We want everybody's attention on God. And, and so, this is, it's, a, it's, a, 
a, a continuum, right? And this is going on. But here in the church, the Hellenists, the, the Grecians, the, the one group, people group in the church feels like they're getting left out. You can see what is Satan doing here? He's playing the race card. It's been around for as long as you can imagine here. And it says, look at how this is worded here. It says, when the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews. You could write in here, because this is satanic, you could write in here, anti-Semitism. You might have heard about that in the news lately. Satan hasn't stopped playing that card. It's one of his favorite cards, the race card, and anti-Semitism. And here it is in the church. Okay, I get it that it's out in the news. I get it it's out on the university campuses. I get it that it's out in the streets, but that should never be in the church. There should be no hate for any people group, whether it's Palestinian, Arab, Jew, American, They'll know you're my disciples by their hate of those wicked ones. Is that how it goes? No. They'll know you're my disciples by your love one to another. And this is something that, this is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Holy Spirit in the natural man, and this is what's happening, they're falling into these, uh, this this problem. So what are we going to do with it? Verse 2, then the 12, those are the leaders, okay, the 12 apostles, the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Listen, we've got a a lot on our plate trying to manage this. Now, at this point, the church is thousands and thousands, possibly by this point, moving up towards 10,000 new converts in a church that's weeks old. Can you imagine trying to supervise that, trying to coordinate that? Talk about herding cats. That would just be uh, crazy, right? And they're like, okay. And we neener, 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 you know. They're not doing that. It's like, oh, you they. I'll tell you. When I first became a Christian, I just, I loved the Bible, I loved the Lord, I wanted to study it, I wanted to share it, I wanted to teach it, and I went through all these things. And over the years, people at some point would say, well, you ought to be a pastor, and I'm like, no thanks, not interested. I'm happy to teach, I'm happy to serve, I'll clean toilets, just don't make me deal with people. (laughs) They're messy, right? And, and. It's just, at any rate, this is what they're doing. It's like, it's not good for us. We can't jump in with that. We have to keep our hand on the wheel. Somebody's got to drive this thing. So, the twelve summoned the multitude and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the Word of God to serve tables. Not leave what? Not leave what? The Word of God. This is the heart of This is the soul, this is the fundamental job of a pastor, teacher, elder in a church, is to bring forth the Word of God. That's what I find myself doing this morning, bringing forth the Word of God. 
there's a lot of other things that I can be busy at doing at the church here. In fact, I have been busy doing a lot of other things. But if I showed up this morning and said, I'm so tired, and tell you what, shoveling all that snow, changing the filters, cleaning the toilets, I just didn't have time to study and prepare a message for you. God bless you. What kind of church would we be? And I did that repeat, repeat, repeat. I would imagine some of you would find a different place to go on Sunday, right? Because you and I, all of us, we come to hear the Word of God. This is, this is our compass. This is our guiding light. This is the thing we need. A lot of us come not just on Sunday morning. We come on Tuesday or we come on Wednesday or we come on Friday or we come whenever the church doors are open because we need direction and guidance. We're trying to grow in the Lord and we're trying to know the Lord. And this comes through the Word of God. And it's not desirable that these leaders, these teachers would leave the Word of God to take care of the other matters. Does that mean that the other matters don't matter? Of course they matter, okay? They're very important. But they said uh, it's not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This is wonderful. You know, I think it's interesting, and, and I don't know, maybe I haven't figured it out yet, but when I was a kid, I thought, oh, that preacher, because I'd go to church on Sunday, and he would always tell stories of golfing, because he liked to golf, at least in the church I went to, and I thought, that must be the greatest job in the world. You show up, you like got two hours on Sunday, and the rest of the week you golf, because that's all you talked about, and I thought, that must, that must be the one greatest job in the world, only to find out just having time to, to um, minister to prayer and the Word. That's a full-time job in itself. There, there's so much that goes on in this church, and yet there are all kinds of other things that need to be taken care of. In your bulletin, you got this handout. It's a thank you. It's Thanksgiving week, and it's time, once again, that we stop and we say Thank you for all the people who step up and serve in this church. And there is so much going on. One day, um, we were talking about, I looked at the church directory, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on in this church. Well over 85% of the people that I could think of or that I saw in the directory were doing something in the church. They're just hands-on servants in the church. And it's amazing here, uh, going back over the events, church in the park, that takes a lot of work, right? And if you've been involved in that, thank you for doing that. I can't do that myself. Not even one church can do that. It takes all churches to do that. Uh, family camp, another huge endeavor. Baptisms, and we had a bunch of them this summer. Man, that takes people to coordinate it, to, to get it all together. The ladies' conferences, the men's camp, and the breakfast, there are people that are up early. They're preparing weeks ahead. They're getting the decorations and the food bought, you know, the menu plan, the cooking, the cleanup afterwards, the youth camps, concerts that we've had, ladies' retreat. Every one of these, any single one of these would be enough for any one of us to go, oh, oh glad that's over. 
and you look at the calendar, and then what's next week, right? King's Kids kick off, and uh, the Springs uh, cleanup just around the church, all the things that are going on. Sage Women's Center, and all the people that are volunteering there. You know there are people from this church who actually volunteer at Sage Women's Center, plus all the work that we do alongside them. Pastors for Life, getting together and rallying all the churches in southern Idaho. Um, Truth and Treat, that was a huge success. It was so fun. Hundreds and hundreds of people got the gospel. Food bank donations, we're finished collecting those. I saw a couple more cases coming in. Thank you very much. You can always take your donation straight to the food bank, right? You don't have to necessarily bring it here, but we were trying to speed up the process. Idaho Chooses Life and the dinner that's coming up next this next week and an opportunity once again to support all of that, but the work that goes in. The, the people that are buying tables and hosting and, and driving and all those kinds of things. The soup fundraiser we just had uh, last week and all the people that went into doing all of that. Pure Word and Redemption Ministries. I mentioned it just a little while ago. Dallas said the announcements were back in the jail again. Woo-hoo! Hallelujah. Um, the Women of the Wells Ministry, the Men's Ministry, Home Fellowships, and there's too many to even name the different home fellowships that are going on in here. Worship and audio and video, thank you guys for constantly doing the, the hard work with all that technology. Um, the meals and hospital visits, the Hands of Grace ministry, the different projects that guys are doing, the gals who are out there bringing meals or hospital visitations and, and things like that. You guys know all this happens every week here. Do you know that? I mean, you, you, you don't maybe see it all the time because you're busy doing what you're doing and you're busy doing what you're doing, but they're busy doing this and they're doing that and you have no idea in any one given week how much is going on. And the reason I say you have no idea is because I'm sitting at the top of the pile looking down on it and I don't have any idea all that stuff goes, that goes on, right? And then I come to church and you guys tell me, oh, I want to tell you a God story. I got a Jesus hug for you. Guess what Jesus did today? I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, the cookie ministry, woo shout out for the cookie ministry. But you know, there's a lot that goes into that. The time, the prep, the, the labor, the money, and, and everything. That, that there's, that each one of these is huge. Countryside Care Center, oh my goodness. I was there last Sunday with uh, watching Pastor Daryl up there preaching the Word, right? And And what a blessing, what a huge, tremendous blessing to see people in the church rising up and finding a niche and saying, I see a need, I'm going to meet it. And they just go and they do it. And God enables them and gives them that gift. The gatekeepers, the ushers and the greeters this morning and uh, salt and light ministry and helping us be biblical citizens. Uh, The agape feast, one coming up next week. And I know you signed up and you're going to bring a dish, but there's people here that set up for it, that clean up after it and all of those things that go on. Lawn and landscape and lawn is a big deal, but I'll tell you what, the snow shoveling, that's a huge thing. I can, church, just so that you know, if it's snowing a lot, somebody is shoveling, okay? Just, I didn't know if you ever thought that through. <laughs> I know you do, okay? Because you're shoveling your house. I get that. But, you know, there is a lot of opportunity. If you're looking for a little exercise, you can do it here. Um, <laughs> Building maintenance that goes on on the inside, janitorial and cleaning. And uh, I'll tell you what, if they were AWOL on any given week, you would know, oh, janitorial wasn't here this week. How do you know? (laughs) It shows, okay? (laughs) 
the office ministry and all that goes on in there, prayer ministry. Thank God for all of you that show up on Wednesday nights at 5.30 and pray up and pray for this church. And I know that's just one. That's a regular ministry, but all the home fellowships, all you people that are going out to lunch afterwards, you can use this as a prompt to help you pray. Oh yeah, there's a whole bunch of ministries at the church I can be praying for. Maybe I'm not participating, but I certainly can lift them up in prayer. The giving ministries and, and the generosity of this church, again, it's just, it's overwhelming to me how God has taken a bunch of ragtag folk like, well me, not like you, you're not ragtag, you're all that, but a lot of us and look what he's done. I mean, it's just absolutely gobsmacking. Board members, thank you for your diligence in all of this. All the things that you bring forward to this church, it's amazing. And I know if I've left somebody out or I've left one of your ministers out, I apologize. There's, I know I have because there's just so much that goes on here. Well, this is what's happening. The church is multiplying. Disciples are growing. The leadership is going, man, I can't, I can't take care of that. It's too much. And so what do the um, Hellenists do? They come up and they go, you know what? You ought to do something about that bread distribution. I've got a little thing I always joke about. Some of you that are close to me know the yaadas. okay? There's, everywhere you go, I learned this in sixth grade because the students would always tell me, Mr. Yost, you ought to do this. Mr. Yost, you ought to do that. And I'm like, I'm glad that you can see all my deficiencies and all the opportunities we have to improve here, but just telling me what the problem is doesn't get her done. You have no idea, you know, for starters, how busy a person might be. The best thing to do, and this is what I always encourage people, again, thank you for all that you do to make the church the way it is, but if you see a need, it's okay to come and say, you know what? I see a need. I've got an idea. Let's fix it. If you come up to me and say, I, I see this, I'll say, that's wonderful. How can we help you make that happen? It's my belief, okay, Christian, endowed with the Holy Spirit, it's my belief that if God has shown you a deficiency, a need, an opportunity, then that's yours. He showed it to you. And all you have to do is step and say, I see an opportunity. Is there any way... I can help get this done. And we'll take all the resources and we'll marshal everything that we've got at the church to help you minister in that way, okay? Not, not completely, not entirely, right? We've got to figure out how to juggle it all. But at the same time, um, rather than just saying, you ought to do this, just kind of think of how can we be part of the solution? Well, this is the issue in this church. There's this, this business of, well, we're, they're not getting enough. Well, they come up with an ingenious solution. I love it right here. It says, uh, we shouldn't leave. We have to dedicate ourselves to prayer and ministry of the Word, verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. They're like, yes, amen. We really need those teachers, preachers, prayer warriors. That's essential. Please don't stop praying for me. Please don't stop preaching the Word. We need that. It pleased the whole multitude, and they chose, and there's a list now of these seven guys, Stephen, and look at how they describe him, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. How can you not like a guy full of faith and the Holy Spirit? I wonder how they picked him. It's obvious. It's obvious. When you are full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, people know. You probably look around the church right now. You come in, you look, and you see different people, and you're like, wow, 
Look at that guy. Look at that gal. Look at that. And you recognize them. They just stand out from the crowd. It's hard to find in this church because there's pretty much every all of you is that way. It's like, um, but full of the Holy Spirit, uh, faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip. And notice, we're going to see Philip come up again in chapter 8. We're going to see Stephen come up again in chapter 7. God's just picking them out of the crowd, and this is the first step into ministry for them. Stephen, full of the faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they prayed, they laid hands on them. They, they made a public acknowledgement, this, this laying on of hands. We see it through the Scripture. It's just a way, it's a gesture that helps people, the group, just like we dedicated um, this morning, you lay hands, and that just says we're all in this together. The elders looked at these guys, and it's like, wow, this, this is a good group of guys. They're full of faith, the Holy Spirit, um, and they laid hands on them. You know, and, and so they acknowledge, okay, these are now your leaders. In the New Testament, we'll see this developed into a term known as deacons, okay? A deacon is somebody who has a job, a specific duty. We have people here at the church. It's their role. It's their ministry to clean. It's their ministry to greet. It's their ministry to bring cookies. It's their ministry to teach Sunday school. It's their ministry to uh, keep the books. It's their ministry to, and you go on down the road, and every, that's, their, that's their ministry. We acknowledge them. We recognize them. In fact, on the back of the bulletin, you'll see a whole bunch of phone numbers, people's names here. These are people that are in charge of ministries. We, we call them deacons or deaconesses. And, and this is an idea of, of people who have risen up, and they've met a need. In, in the Scriptures, in Ephesians chapter 4, we read in verses 1 through 7, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. These are callings. This is God saying, hey, I want you to help in this way. And you then should follow that call. It says, verse 2, with all lowliness, not arrogant or proud, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He goes on to say, there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So everybody gets a calling, and we're to walk worthy of that calling. The calling comes from God. And then we work in love, in unity amongst the body. You don't look at a person and go, gosh, why does Ralph always get to get up and sing worship on Sunday mornings? I think I ought to be that person. And it's like, well, A, <laughs> maybe, maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> For starters, if that's your heart attitude, that's not the right heart, right? It says with all lowliness, with gentleness, with long-suffering, Anytime we're called into that ministry, we should do it as, as John the Baptist would say, that I would decrease, that he might increase, that people wouldn't even know who I am. They wouldn't even know who cleaned the toilet. They just know that it's clean and praise the Lord for that toilet cleaner. Amen, right? And, and, and this is that idea. It, says, it goes on in verse 11, 
and he, Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets. So not everybody's an apostle or a prophet. Some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Not everybody, according to their calling. And he did it for a reason, for the equipping of the saints to help us get our job done. He rose you up to do what you do to help us. He rose us up to help you. It goes back and forth. The equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. And let me share with you, ministry is work. Okay? People sometimes come and say, I want that. Well, like, like Ralph. I want to be like Ralph. I want to be on stage. I want to. That's work. That's hard work in preparation and being gifted and talented. And, and you don't just get up and sing on Sunday. You've got to sing all week long. You want to play guitar? You've got to practice all week long. You won't have the calluses. You can't get her done. You have to be in, dedicated to this. It's work. Ministry is work by definition, the work of the ministry and the edifying of the body of Christ. But it's a gift. It's a calling. God brings and puts these people in position in the church so that the church can prosper, just like we see these seven saints that have now stepped up to the plate. Interesting thing about them, we can't say this for certainty, but we can look at those names. And all those names here in the early church, these are all Greek names. They're not Hebrew names. And it's like, wow, we got a problem. The Hellenists, the Greek women, the widows are complaining they're getting overlooked. How are we going to fix this? Let's get a bunch of Greek guys. They will recognize the Greek widows and they won't get neglected. And so the, the job, the calling, it all matches with the gifts and, and, and talents that everybody has. But again, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit going on. In Romans chapter 12, we again see the Holy Spirit in action in the church. It goes on throughout the, the New Testament, but in Romans chapter 12 at verse 3, Paul says, For I say through the grace given me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So you've got a gift, you've got a job, you've got something to give. Praise God for that. But don't think too highly of yourself. But it does say in verse 4, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, let us use them. And then it starts listing. If you got the gift of prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, which is serving. The gift of serving, just helping out. Can I take that trash out? If the gift of ministry, then in ministry. Uh, he who teaches, do it in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation, who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. And he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. This is a gifting, a calling of the Lord. And He gives you the tools that you need to get it done. Finally, in 1 Corinthians... In chapter 12, we read in verse 4, there are diversities of gifts. They're not all the same. Y'all don't get the same package. I don't either. There are diversities of gifts, but it's all the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And it goes and lists some of the gifts of the Spirit. Here we see 
These guys, Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas are men filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 3, they have a good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Not hard to figure out who they are. You're looking for a, a, a place in the church, you're looking for a role. Do you have a good reputation? Are you somebody we can put out there and, and show to the world? We have a fundamental policy at the church here. Anybody that would be in any uh, public ministry within the church should be in fellowship with us for six months at least before we would put you in that position because we don't want to put you out as the face of the Springs Calvary Chapel and we don't know what your reputation is. We don't know what you do on Friday night or Tuesday morning or what your witness in the community is, we want to get to know you and, and you to get to know us and, and to feel comfortable with one another. And here in the church, these guys, they had a good reputation. People knew who they were. Now, there are ministries that don't require that public face. There are ministries that go on behind the scenes. And some people want to serve. They, they, they don't want to be seen. And we can find ways to help you serve the Lord in ways that aren't going to draw attention to yourself. But in either case, it's so important that you do have a good reputation, that you don't bring uh, shame on the name of the Lord of the church. Uh, a good reputation full of the Holy Spirit, as we just looked at, gifts and callings and uh, provision that God would make for you to do your work, uh, and wisdom to know what to do with the gift that you've got right? And there are some people that, I'll use a, a vocalist, not picking on singers or whatever, but some people have a beautiful gift of singing, absolutely great, and they could just knock them dead at the nightclubs all week long. But on Sunday morning, are they able to usher you into the throne room of grace? Are they able to get up there with that gift, with that voice, and wisdom and be able to draw you into His presence. That's a gift, that's a calling, and that's wisdom. And these are the things that are so important in the early church. So they came up with this, and uh, they prayed on them, they laid hands on them, and fixed the problem, okay? No more murmuring or complaining about the distribution of bread. We, we handled that. One down, thousands of people, I don't know how many more complaints to go. Right? You ought to this and you ought to that. But it's a wonderful model of how we would address an issue within the church. When we see an opportunity here in the church, we pray about it. We look around. We see who can fill that job. We, we see what we can do to get behind you and make it happen. And part of who we are today as a church is just, a, it's just an aggregate of years of all of that. What, what am I saying? The reason we have what we have today is because of who God has brought us, what gifts, what talents, what people have stepped up, who's been pulling the wagon, and that's why we are what we are. Who you see, we is us, okay? And, uh, and we're happy to be the church that God has cobbled together. He's brought us all from different walks of life and backgrounds and churches and denominations and all those kinds of things, but He's made us one here at the Springs. You know, it's kind of interesting, this little division. It's kind of, this is the early church, and now you've got the Hebrews and the Hellenists. It's kind of the beginning of denominations, okay? And in that denomination, delineating, naming this group or that group, what it ended up doing was creating 
a division, you know. On the back of our bulletin, what we believe, uh, I, we, it says, we are not a denominational church. We're really kind of a hodgepodge. We're the church for the unchurched. We're just a, a grab bag of all kinds of sinners saved by grace, right? We are not a denominational church, nor are we opposed to denominations as such. We just didn't come here to be another denomination. We thought we'd try to find a niche that wasn't getting hit. We're not opposed to denominations as such, only their overemphasis on the doctrinal difference that have led to division in the body of Christ. And so fundamentally, we stand on the Word of God, and the Word is truth. And we need to speak the truth boldly, powerfully, in love, our words need to be graceful, seasoned with salt. We need not to be afraid to stand up and say, this is the truth, and this is what we stand for. But when it comes to the distinctions that make one group a little different from another, that's not a problem. We can fellowship. We're going to go to heaven together. We're all going to get an upgrade on our theology when we get to heaven and we look into the face of God and we realize, wow, I had that one wrong. But God's gracious, right? And He, he, he uses us. Um, so we want to we work together. And this, this pleased everybody, and it worked. Verse 7, And when the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, this is the net. This is the fruit. This is what the, the result of, of coming together in love and addressing an issue and finding the right people with the right calling and the right heart. And, and what happens? There's growth, there's health, there's multiplication. People see, wow, this is the Lord. This is what happens when Jesus shows up. This is what, and I think that's one of the reasons a lot of people come to this church, and I hear it all the time when people come to visit. It's like, wow, I don't know what it is about your church, but everybody seems to like each other. I'm like, yeah, isn't that how it's supposed to be? And they're like, yeah, that's how it's supposed to be, but you could kind of go around and not necessarily find that everywhere you go. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Great number of priests obedient to the faith. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up right there, okay, because of time. Uh, Ralph, you can come on up and get ready. Um, fun little story uh, out of my, my history. When we were in the Philippines, uh, the church that we attended, Calvary Chapel Dumaguete, we had a ministry that would go out uh, and evangelize. They would do outreach, like harvest crusades and that kind of stuff. We called that ministry Hope for You. And we would go from island to island, and it, it required bringing 60 to 80 people and all the equipment. It, it was a huge deal. And, and the Philippines are a bunch of islands, so you'd have to go down to the dock, load all the gear, all the people, sail to another island, get off, find a place to sleep, figure out different things that you're doing, and then set up in this town and have this big old crusade. And we would go, I, one of my jobs in the church was the front man. I'd go to the city uh, weeks in advance and try to rally all the different pastors and churches to come together to promote this event. And then at the event, if you've ever been to one of these crusades, as people would come forward at the altar call, we would fill out cards and we'd get their name and information. And then we would distribute that to the churches in the area. We would leave town and the idea was the church would multiply and it would grow because of all of this. And I remember one time we were in Depolo um, down on the South Island 
Um, and uh, as we're going into this town, people were telling us, this isn't going to work. I'm, I'm, I'm going down there trying to lay the groundwork, and there was, at the time, I think about four or five Bible studies in DePolog. It was a pretty big town, but it had a heavy-duty cult in town that really kind of ruled the roost there. And evangelicals just weren't making much traction. Even the Catholic Church was marginalized, which is amazing, in the Philippines. And so we got there that night, and we set up, and we're doing this, and everybody goes, nothing ever happens. Everybody comes and tries, and nothing ever happens. But we got these couple Bible studies. We, we told the whole town. We rented this uh, big amphitheater, and uh, filled it, you know. Actually, when it started out, it was empty, and we're freaking out like, oh, nobody's going to come. And then this terrible, terrible storm broke out. Thunder and lightning and rain. It was a tropical deluge and everything. Well, everybody came in off the streets to get out of the rain, and it filled up the arena, <laughs> right? Thank you, Jesus, right? And, but because of that, the power went down. And we don't have any microphones, we can't talk to the people. Finally, people are figuring out, they get these generators, they get everything plugged in and running, and the generators, the big old diesel thing, right in the middle of the room, and the guy's preaching, you know, just like Pastor Joe and all that. But at the altar call, tons of people came forward, even priests, Catholic priests. I had the joy, the pleasure of meeting with one of these priests, and I'm asking him, do you understand what you're doing? You're coming forward to this altar call, you're, you're making a profession of faith that you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, that you have, you're confessing your sins, you're turning, you're repenting, and you're walking towards God. And he says, I understand. He says, I've been serving in the church all these many years, but I've never experienced God, Jesus, His Holy Spirit, the believers. And we had four priests from that area come to know the Lord on that outreach and when we went back, my job was not only going out in front, but follow-up. And followed up three months later, there was eight churches in that town eight months later with anywhere from 25 to 50 people in Depolog because of all of this. Because of why? Yeah. Why? What's the point here? Everybody took their gift or their talent. I can't do much. I can pick up speakers and set them down and repeat all across the nation. And everybody took whatever talent, whatever calling, whatever thing it was, they contributed to the body, and the church multiplied and grew. And that's what's happening here. That's why I love to see this place filling up, even on a really cold, icy day outside. Why? Because Jesus is in the house. Amen? Amen. Father God, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for all that you have done in our life, the testimony, the stories we have, the thanksgiving that we can never stop thanking you for one another and for the opportunities and the fruit that you've produced here. We pray, Lord, going forward, knowing what you've already done and are doing in our lives, we're so excited to see what you're going to do tomorrow. Help us, Lord, just to stay in step with you, not to fall behind or run ahead, but just walk in your spirit, walk worthy of your calling, anointed by your Holy Spirit, covered by your blood, and just going forward boldly proclaiming your word in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www 
thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at The Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.